This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you and welcome to the show. The Screen Guild Theater is a radio series broadcast from 1939 until 1952 during the golden age of radio. Leading Hollywood stars performed adaptations of popular motion pictures. Originating on CBS Radio, it aired under several titles. The Screen Guild Theater had a long run, and actors on the series included Ethel and Lionel Barrymore, Humphrey Bogart, Gary Cooper, and Bette Davis, to name a few. The series began with a variety format with mixed success. The program increasingly came to rely on the adaptations of major motion pictures, presenting a considerable challenge to writers who had to compress the narrative into 22 minutes. Now, fees these actors would typically charge were donated to the Motion Picture Relief Fund in order to support the creation and maintenance of the Motion Picture Country House for retired actors. I found it interesting that Shirley Temple's parents declined an offer of $35,000 for her to perform a radio version of The Bluebird on a commercial broadcast. Instead, she presented it on the Screen Guild program without payment. An attempt was made in her life during that show. As Temple was singing Someday You'll Find Your Bluebird, a woman in the audience rose from her seat, pulled out a handgun, pointing it directly at Judy. The woman hesitated and was disarmed. It was later discovered that she had lost a child on the day it was publicly stated that Temple was born and blamed her for stealing her daughter's soul. So here's the episode first broadcast in 1943, entitled The Devil and Miss Jones. Lady Esther presents the Screen Guild Players. The Screen Guild play tonight, The Devil and Miss Jones. The starring players... This is Lorraine Day. This is Charles Coburn. And this is George Murphy. Tonight, Lady Esther presents the Screen Guild players in that delightful RKO story about the richest man in the world, the devil and Miss Jones. Charles Coburn plays the richest man, J.P. Merrick. Lorraine Day plays Miss Jones. And George Murphy plays the boyfriend, Joe O'Brien.
as the richest man in the world, J.P. Merrick had almost forgotten he owned the Neely department store. Until the day the store's unhappy employees hung him in effigy. The next day, the store had a new employee. The personnel manager's confidential files described the new employee as Thomas Higgins, a private detective hired by the Merrick Enterprises. But when Higgins reached his home after his first day in the store, his butler greeted him with... Good evening, Mr. Merrick. Good evening, George. Did anyone of the store suspect whom you are, Mr. Merrick? No one. The personnel manager thinks I'm a detective, and the rest of the employees regard me as an old pauper. Can you imagine that, George? Me, a pauper? Well, congratulations, sir. A boy or girl, sir? <laughs> Confound it, George. Will you stop listening to Abbott and Costello? Where was I? You'd just become a papa, sir. Uh-oh. Oh, yes. In fact, one of my new associates, a Miss Mary Jones, was so certain that I was impoverished, she forced me to share her lunch. We had tuna fish popovers. <gasps> tuna fish popovers? Yes, tuna fish popovers. And if I'm not sick tonight, or tomorrow at the latest, my fancy Dr. Schindler from Vienna wished that he was back in Vienna. Yes, sir. Uh, did, you, uh, uh, did you make any progress in uncovering the miscreants, sir? Well, I learned who hung that dummy of me outside the store. That's wonderful, sir. Who was it? A youngster named Joe O'Brien. He was discharged and barred from the store a week ago. But he has accomplices there, or still working there. Uh, do you know who they are, sir? Well, some of them. Miss Jones, the girl who shared his lunch, his lunch with me, is the most active. I hope you had her discharged today, sir. Well, I didn't. There's nothing vicious about Miss Jones. She just lets her heart run away with her head. Unfortunately, she's in love with Joe O'Brien. Uh, perhaps you could persuade her to forget him, sir. Perhaps. At any rate, I'll try when we go to Coney Island tomorrow. You're going to Coney Island, sir? Yes. By getting friendly with them, I learn the names of every malcontent in the store. Besides, I haven't stood up on a roller coaster for years. Yes, sir. Should I lay out your bathing suit, sir? <laughs> no, it's a little shabby. I better rent one at Coney Island. The last time I wore mine, I noticed it had a hole in the knee. Bathhouse locker, Mr. O'Brien? Yes, and for the fifth time, Pop, will you stop calling me Mr. O'Brien? The name is Joe. I'll call you Joe if you'll stop calling me Pop. My name is uh, Higgins, Thomas Higgins. Okay, Pop. You ready to go for a swim? No, thank you. I think I'll go over and talk with Miss Jones. Well, I'll walk over with you. Hey, Mary. Yes, Joe? I'm going for a swim. Well, remember, nobody's going to be watching you, so don't show off and swim way out. All right, baby. Save me something to eat. Be careful. Don't worry, Miss Jones. Nothing will happen to Joe. He's a pretty good swimmer. He's pretty good at everything. You couldn't be prejudiced? Mm, maybe. Isn't it possible you're reading virtues into him that don't exist? Don't you like Joe? Well, that depends upon how much you're in love with him. And I don't think you're any judge. Who's a better one? Any outsider. Me, for instance. Look, there's a couple over there. He's biting her ear. Now she's biting his ear. <laughs> they think they were made for each other. I think they were, too. You think that if she hadn't met him, there wouldn't be someone else biting her ear now? <laughs> Do you think he wouldn't be at some other girl's ear, probably ten feet away? Maybe, but it doesn't prove anything. Scientists can write all the books they like about love being a trap of nature. 
All the scientists are going to convince her other scientists, not women in love. I don't say Joe's the greatest thing that ever lived, and I'm certainly not the greatest girl in the world. It's just, well, two people look at each other and, and they see something way deep inside that no one else can. And that's it. They feel it, they feel it. Do you? <laughs> not in the way I see in movies or hear in songs. You know, the touch of your hand, you set me on fire. <laughs> I'm not the combustible type. But yet, if, if I knew I'd never see Joe again... Yes? I've never even thought of what it would be like not to see him anymore. But if I thought I'd never see Joe again, I don't think I'd care if I lived or died. I see. But what about Joe's uh, radicalism? Joe isn't radical, Mr. Higgins. Not radical? What do you call his hanging that dummy of, uh, of J.P. Mary? Oh, he was just trying to draw attention to the way the employees were treated at the store. Why, J.P. Merrick probably doesn't even remember that he owns Neely's department store. He's the richest man in the world, you know. Really? Oh, you ought to see his house sometime. Have you been in his house? <laughs> no. But Joe's walked me past there. We thought we'd talk to Mr. Merrick, but somehow we always lost our nerve. Everybody says he's such a devil. I see. I think I'll go for a walk until it's time to eat. Maybe I can think of a way for us to get in to see Mr. Merrick. Well, don't you think you'd better get out of that bathing suit and into your clothes before you go wandering around? Well, there's plenty of time for that. Anyway, Joe has the key to the locker. Well, don't wander away and get lost in the crowd. Hmm. Think I'm a child? Get lost indeed. Sergeant, this man claims he was lost. Well, I am. <laughs> Said he couldn't find his bathhouse and he was trying to sell his valuable watch for a dollar <laughs> so he could call his chauffeur. <laughs> I thought that was suspicious, so I picked him up. Well, it's suspicious enough for me. I would advise you two simple guardians of law and order for the sake of your own future and security to be very careful of any decision you make against me. Will you say that again? Tom! Tom Higgins! Well, we've been looking everywhere for you. Joe's gone to the hospital. What happened to you? I got lost. Well, thank heaven you're in one piece. Thanks for finding him, officer. Oh, that's all right, miss. Well, you can call your chauffeur on this phone, Pop. Chauffeur? What chauffeur? Yes, what chauffeur? Well, the chauffeur you were trying to raise money to call. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Let me smell your breath. I never touch a drop. Oh, a cork sniffer, huh? <laughs> Oh, you must be mistaking him for someone else. He's very poor. Say, what do you two do for a living? We work, of course. Where? Don't mention the store, Tom. We'd get fired. Where do you work? Why, uh, uh at the automat. What do you do? Well, I'm in charge of blueberry pies. Uh, <laughs> I put them in the little boxes. And what do you do, young woman? Why, I help him. I snap the boxes shut. <laughs> Say, my feet hurt. Can't we be seated while this continues? You ought to be ashamed of yourself, Sergeant. How would you like it if someone treated your father like this? Is he your father? Yes. Girlie, I catch you in more lies. If he's your father, why did you call him Tom when you came in? Why, I always call him Tom. Come here. I'm going to ask you a question and you whisper the answer or I'll throw you both in jail. Where were you born? Whisper. 125th Street. Okay. Now, if this woman's your daughter, Pop, tell me, what street was she born on? 72nd Street. <laughs> well, 
For such close relations, your stories are a long distance apart. Your daughter said she was born on 125th Street, and you, her father, claimed she was born on 72nd Street. Well, well, we, we were living on 72nd Street, but she was actually born on 125th Street. And why was she born on 125th Street? There's no hospital there. Well, I didn't say there was. Her, uh, her mother was standing in line at a butcher shop. <laughs> you know, uh, rationing. Say, what are you trying to give me? There was no meat rationing 21 years ago. Oh, well, her mother was ahead of her time. <laughs> all right, all right, that does it. You're the two who's been selling hot goods around here, all right. Mary. Joe. I'm warning you, girlie. Anything you may say may be used against you. What's happened? You go on home, Joe. Tom and I'll meet you there later. Quiet, you. How about using a more civil tone, officer? Oh, me? Yes, you. Have they charged you with any crime, Tom? No. Well, then you don't have to stay here. Come on, go on out. You stay right here. You've got no right to keep anyone here without a charge preferred against them. Well, I can fix that. We'll hold them for violating the city ordinance, forbidding the wearing of bathing suits on the boardwalk. How do you like that for a charge? Why, you couldn't hold them for ten minutes on a charge like that. Oh, would you like to see another charge? I doubt if you've got brains enough to think one up. Joe, keep quiet. Now, don't worry, Mr. Higgins. He can't shut me up with threats. Oh, no? Officer, did this man come along peaceful or did he pull back? Well, he made quite a protest, sir. Oh, he did, huh? Okay, resisting an officer. Now, would you like to see another charge, Sonny? Yes, I'd like it fine. You'd like it fine. Trespassing. Suits me. Soliciting fun. Keep on. Peddling without a license. Oh, you're not frightening me. Stop. He's frightening me. <laughs> And we're throwing a little case of vagrancy. Now, how does that suit you? Just dandy. A vagrant? Me? Oh, I haven't even started on you yet. Joe, Joe, what do you think you're accomplishing? I'm giving him enough rope to hang himself. You're giving me enough rope? Joe, you're an idiot. You're talking me into jail for the rest of your life. <laughs> Who do you think this man is? A servant of the people, that's all. And a darn poor one. He works for me. I don't work for him. How do you like that? Let him put me in jail. He's not putting you in jail. It's me, you fool. All right, let him put us both in jail. I'll holler my head off. This is a free country, you know. Say, are you crazy? Who isn't? This just happens to be my own kind of patriotism. And you can't scare me with your small-time Gestapo. I don't care how small the right is. When you try to take it away, I'll fight for it. The Boston Tea Party was started over one penny. This is big enough for me. Now go ahead. Put me in jail. Don't tell me what to do. I'm running this place. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility. Well, don't look so startled, Sergeant. In case you don't recognize it, that's the beginning of our Constitution. I'll recite it for you. That'll make me look even more ridiculous, and at the same time, you might get to understand it. Where was I now? Uh, oh, yes. Ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, and secure the blessings of liberty. That's the way Joe is, Tom. If he thinks he's right, he won't give in to anybody. He's wonderful, isn't he? He isn't very practical. No, he isn't, but he's wonderful. You know, Sergeant, I don't like this. Yeah, me either. When they start reciting the Constitution, look out. Ah, what can one fellow like him do? It's not him. It gets in the papers. Those civil liberties fellows send a big lawyer down, and what happens in court looks like a murder trial. But a little thing like that? Oh, the way they mix it up. Winds up like Abraham Lincoln's trial. Lincoln? Uh, the last trial took two weeks. Two weeks? My vacation starts Wednesday. You spent it listening to Abraham Lincoln in a nice hot courtroom? Oh, my wife would skin me alive. Hey, you, quiet, quiet! I'm going to suspend charges on all of you. Now get out of here. Oh, no, just a minute. You're not going to get off that easy. <laughs> I'm not going to get off. We don't want any suspended charges hanging over our heads. We want the charges dropped, and we want an apology. All right, all right, all right, they're dropped. 
And I apologize. Now get out. Thank you. And this for you, officer. Who, me? Yes, you. The next time you bring in a thing like that, I'll throw you right in the ocean. But, Sergeant, you know I can't swim. That's what I mean. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, you sink. <laughs> just, just a minute, Sergeant. Just a minute. You can't talk to an officer of the law in that manner. Oh, I can't, can't I? Get out of here, you busybody. Oh, no, I won't move a step until you apologize to that officer. Then make arrangements to have your meals brought in because I'll never apologize to him. Oh, you won't, huh? No. All right, you ask for it. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more no, perfect union... No, no, stop union... it, stop it, stop it. I give up. Officer, officer, I apologize. Well, that's better. Come on, Mary, I'll take Tom over and get him dressed. It's time we got started home. <laughs> It sounds as though you had quite an exciting day at Coney Island, Mr. Merrick. Yes, George. That fool sergeant almost exposed me when he offered me the phone to call for the chauffeur. But the others, Miss Jones and O'Brien didn't catch on. No. They were too excited about my being arrested. In fact, Joe O'Brien didn't even notice when he dropped this paper. What is it, sir? An important paper? Very important, George. It's a list of 400 names. The names of all the employees who participated in hanging that dummy of me outside the store. And so ends Act One of The Devil and Miss Jones. Curtain rises on Act Two of The Devil and Miss Jones, starring Charles Coburn as J.P. Merrick, Lorraine Day as Mary Jones, and George Murphy as Joe O'Brien. J.P. Merrick is telling his butler about coming into possession of the list of 400 employees who participated in hanging him in effigy. In another section of town, Mary Jones and Joe O'Brien are having a serious discussion. Now that the Neely Department Store has blacklisted me, Mary, I can't get a job in New York, so I just can't see anymore for a while. What do you mean? Well, I mean I can't take up your time anymore. Is that what you call our relationship, Joe? Taking up my time? Well, I haven't any right to take up your time when I can't get a job. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Well, you might ask my opinion about that, Joe. What are your plans? You want to go out of town? I'll go with you. That's not such a terrible thing to ask me. Oh, Mary... If you want me to go with you, I'd like to go. I'd like to marry you. Even the way things are, I'm not afraid. You're not afraid? How long do you think you'd be in love with, with me living off your salary? Oh, that's nothing to be ashamed of, Joe, if you can't help it. Oh, not to you, but it is to me. You gave me a $5 wallet for my birthday and left the sales slip in so I could exchange it for the money. Next step, you'll be giving me the money, a quarter at a time. I can't be in love under those conditions. Well, then you're nothing but a coward, Joe, for all your bravery in police stations. You can't even face life, afraid to get married because you might not be able to get a job. It's not me I'm worrying about. I'm not going to be locked in a hall bedroom watching you iron my shirts, and nobody's going to make me. Nobody's going to make you do anything except go home. Go on, unless you're afraid of the dark. Hello? Mary? Yes? Where can I find Joe O'Brien? He's right here, just a second. It's for you, Joe. 
Hello? Uh, this is Sam Johnson, Joe. Hey, look, we're in real trouble. What do you mean? Who, who's in what trouble? All of us. Thomas Higgins isn't what he, what you think he is. He's a detective working for J.P. Merrick. What? Yes. How do you know? I was going through the personnel files tonight and saw the notation on his card. He's been to the meetings. Why, he'll have us all fired. Now, wait a minute. He has to have some kind of proof. He can't just accuse. Oh, my gosh. What's wrong, Joe? Oh, oh, I just remembered. This afternoon, I dropped the list of names of everybody connected with our organization. And Thomas Higgins picked it up. What are we going to do? Now, look, you sit tight. I'll come down to the store tomorrow and get that list away from Higgins if I have to knock him in the head. But you can't even get in the store, Joe. Every doorman has orders to throw you out. Don't worry about me. I'll get in there if I have to disguise myself as Santa Claus and slide down the chimney. Good morning, Miss Jones. Good morning, Mr. Higgins. That was quite a nice outing we had yesterday, wasn't it? I'm glad you enjoyed it. I learned a lot of things about your Joe O'Brien that I'd never have expected. Joe learned a lot of things about Thomas Higgins that none of us suspected. Mm, what do you mean? I'll let Joe tell you. Are, uh, are you Thomas Higgins? Mm, yes. You're one of them in the general manager's office. What does you the general too, manager Jones. want with me? He wants to fire you. Fire me? What for? Well, it's been reported that you're a friend of Joe O'Brien's and Miss Jones. And he's going to fire me for that? Oh, you have nothing to worry about, Mr. Higgins. You can always save your own skin by turning in that list of names Joe dropped. What? You heard me, you... You Benedict Arnold in sheep's clothing. Is that so? I'll show you who's Benedict Arnold in sheep's clothing. I'll show that general manager something, too. going to show me something, were you, you rambunctious old billy goat? Why, I'll have you blacklisted and starved to death. Are you the general manager of this store? I am. Well, I don't know how you ever got the job. It happened that I was the cream of department store managers. Well, don't forget, yesterday's cream is tomorrow's cheese. (laughs) I certainly don't get it. Well, you will, you sourpuss. Sourpuss? Yes, I've seen happier faces on iodine bottles. Why take out your ingrown disposition on these employees? Can't you understand that the dealing with them the way you do, you've brought on this civil war around here? That's why they're your enemies. Enemies? I haven't an enemy in the store. Then all your friends hate you. <laughs> I've worked with these people. They've got rights. Yes, and uh, just what would you suggest? I suggest that you get a different job if you can't get the confidence of your employees, you bumble-witted idiot. Say, Pop, you're all right. Don't you worry about anything, Joe. I can handle this nincompoop. Well, I'd I'd like nothing better than to get the confidence of my employees. Oh, that goes right in one nostril and out the other. (laughs) Who can I talk to? Who represents enough of these people to mean anything? Would you consider 400 employees enough, Mr. Allison? Yes, I would. Well, there's our representative, Joe O'Brien. Oh, but how do I know he represents 400 employees? Uh, Where are the 400 names? That's the catch, Mary. You see, he wants the list of names. Well, without the names, I can do nothing. This isn't a trick, is it? Don't be foolish, Mary. Don't trust him. Well, if there's a right way, Joe, this is it. We're not being fair in asking for trust only on one side. Well, I'm against giving him the names. He works for J.P. Merrick. That doesn't prove anything, Joe. Yes, it does, Pop. He has to be crooked or he wouldn't be working for that crook. (laughs) Uh, Just a minute, young man. Who said J.P. Merrick was a crook? Who didn't? Will you keep quiet? I can't hear myself think. Well, you aren't missing a single thing. (laughs) 
<laughs> Mr. Higgins, have you the list you picked up when Joe dropped it last night? Yes, I have. Well, give it to Mr. Allison, please. All right. Allison, it's going to be terrible if you fool these two young people. Give it to him, Tom. Very well. It's yours, Allison. Oh, thank you. Now, you superannuated old jerk, how dare you come into my office and talk to me like you did? I can outwit morons like you every day on the week and twice on Sundays. That's why I'm sitting behind this desk and you're standing in front of it. I'm going to see that every name on this list... Miss Jones, give me back that list. Tom, take half this list and eat it. What do you oh, doesn't God, you hurry and eat your hat before he gets some of those store detectives in here and takes it away hey, from me. Arlen! Hurry! Yes, Mr. Allison. Come in here, quick! Too late. Now, you simpleton, I'll show you who can outwit who. Who are you going to fire now? You tell me the names of everyone on that list or I'll fire the whole fifth floor for a starter. Why, that's not fair. Many of the people on the fifth floor have nothing to do with tell it. Tell me every name or out they all go. Every one of them. Chambers, discard slips for everyone on the fifth floor. You can't do that to oh, us. Oh, can't I? Wait till you get your slip and see. All right, you do, and we'll take our case to J.P. Merrick himself. Oh, oh, oh you will, then. Why, you old idiot. J.P. Merrick could have you thrown out of his house before you could open your mouth. I don't think so. Well, I'm telling you. Just how well do you know Mr. Merrick? He's a very close friend of mine. That's interesting. <laughs> what did you say your name was? Allison? I'll make a point of asking Mr. Merrick just how well he knows you. I wouldn't do anything rash if I were you, Higgins. I don't intend to. You ought to drop your idea of seeing Mr. Merrick. Oh, it wasn't my idea. Your Brian and Miss Jones had the idea long ago, but they didn't follow through. <laughs> that was very fortunate. Yes, fortunate for you and the rest of the petty dictators around here. This time, they're going to see J.P. And just what will that accomplish? Well, of course, I'm not positive. But if I were you, I'd start reading the help wanted mail. Come on, Joe and Mary. Then am I to understand, Mr. Merrick, the Miss Jones and Mr. O'Brien still think you're Thomas Higgins? That's right, George. When I left them in the hallway, I told them that I was going to find Mr. Merrick and see if he would talk to them. Yes, sir. Well, open the door and tell them he'll talk. Very well, sir. See you now. Thanks. Gosh, Tom, you must know Merrick pretty well to bust right in like this. I probably know him better than anyone in the world. Has he talked with the general manager yet? Yes. Oh, well, I don't suppose he'll pay any attention to what we have to say then. That's not fair, Mary. If he'll take time to see us, he'll at least listen to what we have to say. He's probably seeing us just because he's a friend of Mr. Higgins. As a matter of fact, he's very fond of both of you. Huh? Well, wh what does he know about us? Well, as a private detective, I've learned a great deal about you both. And as a private detective, I recommended that Joe be made head of employee relations of all Merrick Enterprises. What? Yes. And as J.P. Merrick, I'm ready to accept my recommendation. Uh, as who? J.P. Merrick. J.P. Merrick? You, J.P. Merrick? The devil himself. Well, what do you say, Joe? Will you take the job? Oh, he certainly will, Mr. Merrick. Now he has no excuse for not marrying me. Well, Joe? Well, what can I do? I'm between the devil and Miss Jones. Thank you, Lorraine Day, Charles Coburn, and George Murphy for your fine performances with the Lady Esther Screen Guild players tonight. It was our pleasure to be here, Mr. Bradley. We're all a part of the motion picture industry, and so we know how important the motion picture relief fund is. 
also that the relief fund receives the benefits from this series of programs. Next week, the Lady Esther Screen Guild players will present a rollicking farce comedy, Love is News, starring lovely Anne Sheridan and Jack Benny. Be sure to listen. Lorraine Day appears through the courtesy of Metro-Golden-Mayer Pictures. Miss Day can soon be seen in the RKO production, Mr. Lucky. Charles Coburn is now playing in the Columbia picture, The More the Merrier. George Murphy can currently be seen in the Metro-Golden-Mayer picture, Batan. Music on tonight's program was arranged and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. To save materials, buy the larger size of Lady Esther face cream. Truman Bradley speaking for Lady Esther, saying thank you. And good night. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Stay tuned for The Red Skelton Show next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for one of Red's wild characters to show up on a show that was first aired in 1948, Junior and the Milkman. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Red Skelton back again. See, last week, President Truman took our time. I knew once he'd get to the people that listened to me, he'd get in. Procter & Gamble brings you the Red Skelton Show, starring Red Skelton, Dave Rose, and his orchestra, our singing stars, the Four Knights, Verna Felton, Lorene Tuttle, Pat McGee, and yours truly, Rod O'Connor. Yes, it's the Red Skelton Show, brought to you by Tide, Procter & Gamble's amazing new discovery for your whole family watch. Metro Golden Mayor, the star of our show, Red Skelton. Thank you very much and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, Rod, you know anybody who wants to buy any old Dewey buttons? <laughs> uh, did you vote Red? No, I voted American. <laughs> I laugh myself. I don't want to get lonesome tonight. Now, you know what I mean. Yeah, it was I an exciting mean. election, though, wasn't it? Yeah. Everyone thought Dewey would sweep the country. Yeah, but little old Harry stole these brooms. <laughs> I uh, wonder how the candidates felt after the election. Well, after it was over, Truman passed cigars, Dewey passed the buck, and the last we heard from Wallace, he was still passing the hat. <laughs> I hear tomorrow night that Wallace and his party is holding a mass meeting in a telephone booth. <laughs> you know the guy I feel sorry for is Dr. Gallup. <laughs> what happened to Gallup? He slowed down to a walk. <laughs> well, I wonder what Gallup will do now. Oh, he'll probably go up in the mountains and become editor of Literary Digest. I guess. <laughs> He found out that there's more voters than you can shake a pole at. 
<laughs> Did you watch the election returns come in over television? No, all I could get was the World Series. The World Series was played weeks ago. I know, but I'm behind in my monthly payment. <laughs> so they show me the, the old telecast. Next week, I get to see gorgeous George wrestling at the age of two. <laughs> Tides in, dirt's out, tide gets clothes cleaner than any soap. Any soap? Yes, any soap. Well, I'm... (laughs) Hold on your horses there, gal. Taking in an awful lot of territory. You mean to tell me that Tide is the best sudger that ever hit the pike? Am I right there, Ron? Did I? You're dead right. Dead on. <laughs> because Procter and Gamble's Tide gets clothes cleaner than any soap, any other suds, any other washing product known. Tide works its magic on everything, from your Sunday linens to your everyday work clothes. Tide leaves them free from dirt. Plus, because Tide also removes dingy soap film. Yet with all this special cleaning power, Tide is safe. Truly safe for all your washable colors. In fact, it actually brightens soap dull colors. Gives those gay prints and pastels an amazing lift. And here's what the Tide Touch does for white things. In hardest water, Tide gets shirts, curtains, and napkins dazzling. Whiter than any other washing product known. Tide keeps them white, too. Week after week. Never turns them yellow. As Deadeye says... There are stacks and stacks of wash day products, but of them all, only Tide gives you this three-way miracle. The cleanest, brightest, whitest wash you ever hung on the line. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) I've got to tell you folks listening in what we're laughing at. We have one actor on the stage that got drunk the other night and cut his own hair. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here are the four knights who will sing Alabama Bound. Goodbye, blues. Birdies are singing. Every old thing's in tune. A rosebud in a star. I'm Alabama bound There'll be no heebie-jeebies hanging round There's neither meanest ticket man on man All I'm worried To put my tusses in an upper bird Just hear the choo-choo sound I know that soon we're going to cover ground And then I holler so the world will know Here I go I'm Alabama bound I can hear the choo-choo whistle blow Watch that engine as we start to go Now we're in Baltimore and we're knocking at Dixon's door Hey, what's that, Bill? Louisville We passed there before Fields of cotton, tell me where I am Hear the fella yelling Alabama Mammy, Mammy <laughs> 
You better get your kisses ready for your honey lamb. I'm at a family bound. There'll be no heebie-jeebies hanging round. Just be the meanest ticket man on earth. All I'm worried to put my tussies in an apple bird. I'm just a lucky hound to have someone to put my arms around. That's why I'm shouting so the world will know. Here I go. I'm at a family People you will meet sooner or later. That, that's enough, that's enough. That, hey, that's enough. We're selling Tide and Camay, not Lava. <laughs> Have you ever met someone who has a screwball idea but no money to put it over? I met a guy like that the other day, Clem Cadiddlehopper, and you'll meet someone like him too, sooner or later. <laughs> Kill a song if nothing else. <laughs> well, sure. Well, there's the tree that Daisy June and I carved our initials in. Yes, yeah, sure. It says DJ loves X. <laughs> oh, it's kind of cool today. Fall is really here. Mother Nature's painted everything a new color. Sure wish you'd give me a few dabs too. <laughs> I don't care for the shade of green I am now. <laughs> no, I'm not worrying about my looks. If I become a success. With my flea circus, boy, I'll have being them up to my ears and money. First, my ears hang so low to the ground now that you can barely slide a dime under it. <laughs> oh, look, here comes one of them big shaggy St. Bernard dogs. And maybe I can make friends with them and get some stand-in for my flea circus. Here, over. Here, boy. Howdy, Clam. Well, <laughs> Howdy, duty to you. You exhibiting a flea circus at the county fair. That's the truth. I'm in the flea circus business. I started from scratch, too. <laughs> Would you care to help me? What? Me be a nursemaid to a bunch of fleas? Well, don't get so uppity-uppity. After all, I remember a few years ago when you was a jitterbug. Well, <laughs> where is your flea circus? Over here, in this cage here, made out of a magnifying glass. Here, have a look. Have a look. Oh, gee, they're ugly-looking things. Well, what makes them run around like they're scared? Well, don't forget they're also looking at you through the magnifying glass. <laughs> well, I like that. You do? I ought to slap your face. Well, go ahead. I was about to shift my bubble gum anyhow. <laughs> hey, take a peek at this little bunch over here rehearsing. Aren't they, nice? Aren't they tiny? Yeah, the one with the mole on his chin is my favorite. You know? <laughs> You know, I'm fond of all those little creatures. You know, after you're around them for a few days, there's something about a flea that gets under your skin, you know? Oh, but Clem, a flea circus is such a foolish idea. Yeah. Why don't you do something else at the fair? Well, I was thinking of uh, setting up one of those uh, booths and sell kisses for six for a dollar and ninety eight, see? <laughs> Might not be fun, but it would be a bargain. <laughs> 
gave her a thousand dollars. If I gave a girl a thousand dollars, she couldn't kiss me. They wouldn't let me out of my straitjacket that long. <laughs> oh, speaking of money, where are you going to get the money to pay your rental space at the fairground? Well, I tried to borrow some money from the bank. Did they give you credit? Yeah, they said I sure had a lot of nerve. <laughs> I had to borrow some money on my collateral. How'd you come out? On my collateral. <laughs> I love this tonight. We just shut this this afternoon, you know. You mean you couldn't float alone? Float alone? I couldn't float if somebody was holding me up. Daisy, would you like to loan me some money? Mm, how would I know that you'd pay me back? Well, haven't I always paid you back? Never. Well, then that's how you would know. <laughs> So is every other hog in the state. <laughs> oh, look, he's got a sheep. Hey, Bo Peep, where did you get that animated ball of yarn? Now, look, son, don't go and get sour crap sticks. You said to bring him up here, do you? No, I didn't. I said bring some fleas. Fleas? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I Well, now you can see where I got my brain. <laughs> wasn't much left either. Well, what do you want with fleas? I'm going to make them perform if I can get some money and then take them to the state fair there, you know. Ooh. Yeah, would you loan me some money so I could get to the fair? Why? Are you financially embarrassed, son? No, I'm broke. <laughs> But it would take more than that to embarrass me. I'm sorry, but I ain't got a dime. I just paid out my last five cents to the insurance man. Well, maybe you could hawk something. Oh, son, I hawked everything on. My hairpiece, my teeth, my false eyelashes. There's so much of me hanging in that hawk shop window that your pa's suing me for desertion. <laughs> Well, I guess my chance of making some money is just out the window. Well, now, Clem, if you really think you can make a lot of money with that flea circus, why don't you take our old bull over there and sell him to the butcher? Well, Mo, we couldn't do that. Why? He's been in the family for five generations. <laughs> Buffalo Bill gave him to us. That bull? No, it's the gospel truth. <laughs> We can get arrested for this stuff. <laughs> Go ahead and take him, son. Maybe you'll make enough with your flea circus to buy us an Aberdeen Angus bull. Oh, Freeman will like to hear that. <laughs> okay, you pile the flea cage on the truck while I get the bull. Daisy June, you want to help me put the bull in the back of the truck? Okay, I'll pull and you push. Okay, come on. Well, he's in. Clam. You have to sit on my lap. Sure, the bull's sitting on mine. <laughs> well, that's that. Well, let's go. Start the motor. Okay. No, I got it started. Now stand back while I run and put it under the hood. <laughs> well, we're off. Oh, it's a beautiful day. Oh, what a beautiful 
the windshield. Glass is dirty. That ain't a glass windshield. Last time it broke, I replaced it with bricks. Slam <laughs> with a brick windshield, you can't see where you're going. The way I drive, who wants to see? Slam? Think our trains are coming. Oh, well, don't worry. I ain't going to cross the tracks. I'm driving right down the middle of them. Play them. The train's are gaining on us. Do something. Okay, I'll turn off the track. Look in the glove compartment and see if you can find the steering wheel. Don't you realize that train might hit us and smear my lipstick? Yeah. <laughs> you head with it, too. <laughs> We're coming to a tunnel. It won't be so easy for them to hit us in the dark. Play them. What do you think I'm doing in midair, Reston? Come on, let's go. That's about the noisiest crash it's ever been on radio. Liam, hmm? are you all right? Well, let's see. Two arms, two legs, two heads. Yeah, I'm all here. Yeah. Look at my train fleas all over the train. And look at your bull. Hmm? I said, look at your bull. Which hunk? <laughs> and now David Rose and his Procter and Gamble Orchestra will play I'll Be Seeing You. <laughs>
page from the Mean Little Kid's Diary. Ever noticed how little children like to meet strangers? All kids like to be good, too, but sometimes they just don't make it. Let's see what happens to Junior, the mean widow kid. Mommy. Mommy. What is it, Junior? Mommy. What's the matter? Well, I put on my cowboy outfit, and all the juvenile jury kids laugh at me. Don't I look like a cowboy? Look, I turn around. Look. You look like a cowboy to me. Yeah, look. Junior, you're supposed to wear pants under the shafts. <laughs> oh, I thought that bear midwife was a little low and drafty. <laughs> Here, put on these long pants your grandmother made for you. No, they don't fit me. They yeah, don't fit me. Put enough to play around in. Oh. I'll put them on. Okay. You better go wash your legs first. Why? <gasps> Why, your knees are so black, I can't see where your half socks leave off. I got news for you, kiddo. I'm not wearing any socks. <laughs> What have you done to your shoes? Your toes are sticking out. Brace yourself. I'm not wearing any shoes either. Well, go take a shower. Okay, okay. I am going to take a shower. I am going to take a shower. I have taken me shower. I have taken me shower. Hey, I've taken me shower. Did you dry real good? I didn't have to. Why? I didn't get wet. <laughs> Well, I've looked high and low and I can't find them. Find what, Mother? Your father's false teeth. Are they gone again? Yes. Junior? Yes, Mommy Dow, what do you want? Oh, oh, oh. oh, for goodness sake. Yum. Just stand on a towel. Look, water's dripping all over the rug. Well, turn your head. Turn your head. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> Did you know that your grandfather's teeth are missing again? You mean the uppers don't connect with the lowers? <laughs> Poor old boy's gonna starve, you know. <laughs> you know very well what I mean. No, I don't. Somebody took your grandfather's teeth. Well, I didn't look. These are mine, see? They're mine. <laughs> these what? are my own choppers. What happened to your front tooth? Oh, I lost it. Shipping spaghetti. Sipping spaghetti? Yeah, you know, you take a big long string of spaghetti and yes. you sip it and you slap you on both sides of the face. You know, and, you yes. and that's how I lost me too. Somebody tied a knot in one hand. About your grandfather's teeth. Oh. Well, who would do the trick like that? Who would take them? Who would do the trick like that? I'm looking at the person who took them. And I'm looking at the person who took them. Well, hand me a mirror. I'd like to look at him, too. <laughs> uh-huh. That's just what I thought. The ring. Can't you teach this boy to let things alone? Here, here. Look, fatso. <laughs> you suggesting that she should whip me or something? You suggest something like that? I'm going to tell on you. You'll tell what? Oh, I'll tell about you being a spy in a civil war. <laughs> now, that's ridiculous. I wasn't even born then. Oh, no. no. Oh, no. Quick, Bernard, give me the secret papers. Well, turn your back. I gotta hide them in my third petticoat. Case dismissed. Junior! <laughs> Why do I let him lead me into stupid things like this? <laughs> oh, she's mad now. Now, that'll be enough out of you, young well, man. Well, she started. Is she Here. Now, you mind me. Put these pants on. Okay. There. Now yeah. run along. Okay. 
And go apologize to your grandmother. Okay, I'll go apologize to you. Nemo, where's me sweet dear Nemo? They fall for this stuff, you know. Where's my, where my sweet Nemo? Now, don't come in here and soft-soap me. I'm not soft-soaping you. I'm sorry that I was nasty, because you're so beautiful and you're so nice. Well, <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> now, go play and let Nemo rest. Well, can't I get you something? Let me be your slave. <laughs> Can I get you a beer or something? <laughs> uh, maybe some food, some food. No, dear. No? I am hungry, but I'll fix something for myself later. Oh, okay. I will run you down. I know what I will do. I will fix her a bite to eat, and then she will love me again. Well, here I is in the kitchen. There's the gas stove. There's the matches. And me. <laughs> Frightening, ain't it, huh? <laughs> What's that? Who's coming in there? Who's in there? Oh, here comes the milkman. Well, we have never met before. Well, that's his misfortune that we have to now. <laughs> I'm going to go out and see what... Here, what you doing with those milk bottles? Put them down. Huh? Well, I'm only taking the empties away. Oh, no, you're not. You think you're pretty clever. Just because I was a widow kid, you didn't think I would notice you swiping them bottles, did you? I'm not swiping any bottles. You ain't? No, these belong to the company. You ain't company. You wasn't even invited. <laughs> now, you put those bottles down because they're going to they'll be trouble. And believe me, if I put my mind to it, I can get pretty nasty. <laughs> I can get pretty nasty, I can. Oh, brother. Pretty nasty, I can get. Now I know why they've got that sign on the gate, enter at your own risk. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. Don't we pay you for the bottles that you eat here? Of course you well, do. Well, then how about kicking in for them bottles that you've taken? A dime should do it, I suppose. <laughs> why, I've never heard of such a thing. You heard it now? If you don't start... Feeling a dime in me, widow Mitch. You remember, I can get pretty nasty. Okay, okay, here's your dime. Yeah, and a nickel for overtime. What? After all, you wasn't very easy to convince, you know. You all right, here's another nickel. Yeah, okay. Hey, now what you doing now? Well, I'm going to put these bottles of milk in the icebox. Only three? Well, my mummy told me to tell you that she wanted 20 bottles of milk today. She's going to take a milk bath. What? You know? Yeah. Grandma tried to take a milk bath once, but she couldn't get the cow in the tub. Well. <laughs> What'd she do? Huh? What'd she do? Well, she hoisted the cow and took a shower. Oh. If your mother wants 20 bottles of milk, I'll leave them for her. Okay, can you carry all them bottles? Sure. It's kind of hard seeing when I'm walking. Uh, 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 maybe you could help me. Famous last words. <laughs> this was a natural born sport, anyway. You let me know how many steps there are on the back porch, sonny. Okay, just uh, start walking, sucker. There's another step, another step. Okay. Boy, I'm thinking of what would happen if I tripped with all these bottles. For me, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> Another step, step up. How am I doing? So good it's discouraging, you know. <laughs> should I tell him that there's a roller skate at the top of the steps? Or should I just let him ad lib from here? Tell me, are there... Before from that haircut he got. Uh, <laughs> are there any more steps? I can't hold these bottles forever. Don't worry, you won't be. Just <laughs> one more step, brother, and you'll really be rolling. Okay. <laughs> oh! Oh! 
buttermilk fingers? <laughs> you homogenized. Little boy, I'm getting out of here. And you can explain what happened. Oh, no, don't eat me. Oh, why do I stay a milkman? Why don't I start my own political party, pass the hat, and settle down? Here, come back here. Help me clean up this mess. If you know what's good for me, you will come back. You what? Oh. What was that crash? If you've broken anything, I... Good heavens, what a mess. Junior? Junior? Yes, Emma? Where are you? Up in the train? Look at all this milk all over the place. What happened? Well, you know the county jumped over the moon? Yes. She didn't make a correct takeoff and she had a crash landing. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's The Shadow, followed by Our Miss Brooks. Thanks to Joe Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.